Well, welcome to our frequently asked questions sessions again. This time we're doing emotions and feelings, and it's the session six of these series of questions and answers. And I'm with Mary again today, uh, where she's going to ask me all the questions. So we'd like to thank uh, her for doing so, but also thank all of those people who've sent in their questions, uh, because there's, there's still many, many hundreds of questions, <laughs> even after this session, that we will have to answer uh, regarding emotions and feelings. We're hoping today, though, that we are focusing more on just people's general questions. Some of them are about fear and grief and other emotions, but some of them are also about technical issues, I suppose you would call it, <laughs> about emotions, where people are wanting to have some intellectual knowledge about what goes on with their emotions and feelings. So what we'd like to do is get started with this session, and Mary's going to ask the first question, so we'll hand it over to her. This person says, I've heard that love rules and love conquers all, including fear. <laughs> when I live in fear, I don't seem to recognise this. Is this because I can't see love when I live in fear? Or am I, or am I just so desensitised to love and so invested in fear? What will it be like when love rules? Mm. Well, again, there's a lot of sections to this question, so mm -hmm. let's go through them. Firstly, the whole love rules and love conquers fear. There are slogans which a person will never feel until they actually let go of their fear from it as an emotional experience. So the average person, when they consider love, they, don't, they, they actually feel quite a lot of fear when they feel about love even. Yeah. And that's because the fear itself is dictating how they interpret love to be. And quite frequently, that's why we enter codependent addictions and then call them love. Mm -hmm. So while true love does conquer fear, the reality is you must first conquer fear before you can feel it. And that's why true love conquers fear. I see. And for the majority of people, they don't go through their fear. And so they try to create a fictitious place where they believe themselves to be in pure love, but they are carrying around large amounts of fear. And obviously, while you're doing that, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to be sensitive to love. And it's also going to be very difficult for you to even feel it, let alone um, understand it. Mm -hmm. And you, to understand love, you must feel it. And to understand true love, you must feel true love. It, to for, for most people, they understand what I would classify as codependent addictions and they call that love. And unfortunately, that's where most people's relationships on this earth are. They are in codependent addiction with each other. They call it true love, especially when most of their codependent addictions are met by the other person. Yeah. If very few of their codependent addictions are met by the other person, then they don't call it true love so much. They just say, you know, they call it an affair or some other kind of, um, you know, some other kind of name or term that we give to love, quotation marks, being involved in our relationships. Mm -hmm. so, so I feel firstly we need to give up the slogans. We need to say to ourselves, well, even if love does conquer all fear and even if love is a beautiful thing, I don't really feel it. 
And so there must be a reason why I don't really feel it. And, and I need to be honest with myself that I don't actually feel it. In fact, you need to be honest with yourself about any emotion before you can actually feel the reasons why you feel the way you do. Yeah. And it's no good trying to convince yourself that you love or you're loving while at the same time in denial of most of your emotions because in the end you're not loving. It's quite simple. It's, so it's impossible to actually be loving if we're in denial of so many emotions. Of course. Of course it's yeah. impossible. That's why the majority of people from this earth enter the first sphere of the spirit world when they pass. And the first sphere is six spheres separated from natural love even. Mm -hmm. So there's so much separation between what God defines as the perfect human love and the love that we have on the earth. There's six spheres of separation, in fact, between those two locations. So we've got to understand that what we see love to be on earth is completely distorted, mm -hmm. completely out of harmony with the way God intended us to naturally live even. And this is without God's love. And the difference between the human love and God's love is, is like, again, it's like inf comparing infinity with a very small, finite thing. So it's like comparing, if you like, the size of the earth with the size of the sun in terms of the differences between the types of love as well. And the majority of people haven't even perfected the first type of love. That's the love re relating to hum humanity or human, the love that comes in, from inside of you out to, to somebody outside of you. And because we haven't perfected that kind of love, in fact, we're nowhere near perfection of that kind of love, and we have a lot of misunderstandings too about what God's love would be. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that needs to be said in answer to the question. Then I think we should remind the, the viewers of what the next part of her question was, so where yeah. she asked the first question, if you like. So, yeah, <clears throat> the first question was, when I live in fear, I don't seem to recognise that love rules or love conquers all. And that's very true. When she lives in fear, she can't recognise Love at all. Yep. You can't. And that's the truth. It's, it's just impossible. Sorry, you just yep. need to have a pause. Um. So the next part, and really the question, which is probably what I should have said earlier, um, she asks, is, so when I live in fear, I don't seem to recognise that love rules. Is this because I can't see love when I live in fear? Yes. Or am I just so desensitised to love and so invested in fear? Yes. <laughs> it's not an or. No. It's yes, you're all of those things. Yeah. You, you are desensitised to love completely and we are desensitised to love because on this earth what we view as love is just codependent addiction. Mm -hmm. And what is real love we can't recognise at all. So yes, you're completely desensitised to love. But also we have the other problem and that is that we are so, you know, locked into fear. Fear can't see truth. Fear can't see pretty much anything other than fear generally. What, unless you feel it and release it, you're never going to see either the truth about love or the truth about anything else. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know, fear has a large bearing on what we see or examine love to be, what mm -hmm. we feel love is. We're going to think that anybody who allays our fear, who makes our fear go away or reduces our fear, loves us. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to think. And that's not love at all. And in fact, that's why the majority of people on earth don't feel loved by God, because God does not make your fear go away. God does not reduce your fear. 
God doesn't need to because God knows that if you accepted God's truth, you would automatically be less afraid. So God's created the universe through which we can be less afraid as long as we accept more truth. Mm -hmm. That's the proviso. We must accept more truth to be less afraid. Um, We've just gone in the darkness because one of our lights have blown, (laughs) so we'll just fix that up. Um, sorry about the darkness. We just tried to fix that. That uh, was a light just going off at the time. <laughs> but uh, to recap, we were just talking about how codependent addictions cause us to believe that love is codependent addictions. And this is the problem that we face on earth is that we're constantly feeling that when somebody meets our addictions, so for example, if we feel afraid and somebody makes us feel safe, we automatically believe that that person loves us. Mm. And God doesn't do things like that. And as I discussed uh, just before the power power in it, um, you know, God doesn't make our fear go away because God knows that we have fear because we're not accepting the truth. Once we accept all the truth, and particularly all of God's truth, we will have no fear and therefore we, we don't need to have anybody make our fear go away. And so... That's the beautiful thing about God, is that if, if we do everything as God's way, in the end the fear will disappear and we'll also be able to recognise real love. Mm. So that, that's the problem. The majority of us are completely desensitised to love because we are only sensitive to someone meeting our addictions, which we call love. And the majority of us have a huge amount of fear, so we're desensitised to truth. We want the false things to be true And that's what fear is. That's what causes our fear, in fact. Mm -hmm. So because we want the false things to be true, we're unwilling to accept the truth. And the sad part of that is that the truth will actually help our fear go away as long as we feel it. In other words, the truth will expose the feeling or emotion of fear within us. And if we are sensitive enough to allow the feeling of that emotion, the fear will dissipate. And as the fear dissipates, we will come to feel the truth. Mm-hmm. So we will actually feel the truth as an emotion, not, not as an intellectual thought. So codependence can make us feel like our fear has gone away, but it's just suppressed, whereas yes. when we receive God's truth, it exposes our fear, we have the opportunity to release it, and it's gone. then the fear is gone forever. Gone forever, yes. Yep. Gone forever out of the soul. And there's very few circumstances in the future where that may return and, and very unusual circumstances, mm-hmm. of course, where it may return. But not anybody on the earth doesn't need to worry about that. If they allow themselves to process through their fear in that manner, when the truth exposed their fear, then they would find they would become fearless through the process. And as they release more fear, they are more open to the truth. And therefore, because the truth is a doorway to love, they're more open to seeing love and recognising it and also allow and allowing the feeling of it. Mm-hmm. So in other words, allowing God's love to enter them and even allowing other people's love to enter them, true love to enter them, they'd now be able to recognise when even someone else loves them rather than that person being in a codependent addiction with them. So we become much more sensitive as a result. So the only reason why we're desensitised is because we're not facing the truth and we don't want to. And why wouldn't we want to? Because it confronts our fears and we don't want our fears confronted. So that's, that's the only reason why we would remain in the condition we currently are. Mm. Now, she asked the last question, part well, of the question, it, doesn't she? It sort of le- perhaps links to what you've been talking about. 
um, what will it be like when love rules? Now, I must first address the presumption in or the premise in the question. Now, everybody asks me, what will it be like when? Now, the reason why these kind of questions constantly get asked mm -hmm. is because you have yet to experience what it's like then. Mm -hmm. And so you want somebody to tell you, oh, it's going to be okay. You'll be okay. Don't worry. <laughs> you want somebody to allay a fear. Mm -hmm. You'd be far better off just feeling, oh, I've got no idea what it's going to be like then. And isn't that a bit scary than asking me the question of what is it going to be like then? Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, sometimes when we tell people the truth about what things are going to be like, that gives us hope. And that's what the person here is looking for. They're looking for hope. Mm -hmm. They're looking for something to hope in that gives them enough desire to want to address their fears and also want to actually start to feel God's love. Now, I feel there are many, many hundreds of things could, that could be mentioned to, to help a person have that hope. And I'm not saying that having that hope isn't a bad thing. In mm -hmm. fact, it is a good thing. But real faith and real trust in the things that somebody states to you will only occur once you've processed fear, once you've actually gone through the emotion. So it doesn't matter how many things I list of what it will be like once you've dealt with fear. Um, it doesn't matter how many of those things I list, you are still going to remain in fear and therefore not be able to feel anything that I'm saying to you. And it's only by going through the fear that you'll be able to feel any of the good parts about what it feels like to not have fear. Mm -hmm. And this is the problem with many of these kind of questions. These kind of questions sort of, all they do is feed the intellect, but they don't give you any confidence or, or make any emotional shifts in you enough to actually have you deal with the actual emotion that's preventing you from having the good experience. Mm -hmm. And what, so what I would prefer to see people doing is saying, I'm petrified about what the future might be in any direction, which is probably more like the truth. And even though I'm petrified, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to trust that, you know, if God le is leading me through this process, that God will lead me through the process. And whatever the results are must be good because God is good. <laughs> and if I don't feel those things, then I need to feel that God is bad mm -hmm. and I need to go through my emotions about why I feel God is bad mm. for whatever those, and there will be a whole list of emotions there as to why you feel that as well. You can sort of jump ahead with your intellect and the problem with jumping ahead with the intellect is eventually you convince yourself that you've made emotional shifts that you have not made. Yeah. Now, of course, your law of attraction, the, the law of attraction will bring to you through your soul-based projections, will bring to you events demonstrating to you that you haven't actually made a change, right? But unfortunately, you might have convinced yourself that you have, and then you start blaming other people for those particular attractions. Yeah. So in other words, you say, oh, I'm all nice and loving now, so it must be all your fault that you're attacking me or all your fault that this particular thing happened to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Rather than going, oh, okay, this thing is still happening to me, so it's got a, I'm the centre of what's happening to me here, so therefore I've got to address something or I've got to address some kind of emotion inside of me that's causing these events to occur. And I feel that these kind of questions where people ask me what will happen when, 
when they have not even engaged the when, you know, they, mm-hmm. haven't, they haven't tried to engage even feeling fear. And so, and so the question then becomes, well, you're really getting way ahead of yourself here. Yeah. And this is one reason why in the spirit world very few people ever get told any new truth other than the next one they need to work on. Because otherwise they get so way ahead of themselves that they can try to convince themselves that they've dealt with a whole heap of things they've never dealt with. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of people on earth doing that with the the divine truth. Mm -hmm. They're trying to convince themselves that they're way, way ahead of where they actually are. Yeah. Yeah. That all being said, obviously, once you've released fear and you've accepted God's truth, which means you've had to be humble to do so, you will start, and you have a long, if you, as long as you have a longing for God's love, you will start to receive God's love. Mm-hmm. Once that occurs, you will have proof that everything will be better as long as you receive God's love. You'll have proof that feeling fear and letting go of fear is to your benefit. Yeah. And you'll have proof that everything I'm talking about with regard to your emotions is true. Until you do those things, you will not have proof. Mm-hmm. And you, if you search for intellectual proof after intellectual proof before you even go through the experience, the experiment, if you like, with your emotions, then all you're going to do is get nowhere. And this is what most even six-fear spirits do. When they come and talk to us, they don't, they, they're asking me all these questions about emotions and all these different things, just like most people on earth ask. And then I say, do you want to engage the experiment? And they say, no. <laughs> What's the point? If you don't want to engage the experiment, just be honest and say no. But there's no point in having a further discussion about emotion unless you're willing to engage emotion and understand it. Then we can have some further discussions about emotion. Then we can talk about what the next step is. So that's what I would encourage people who ask these kind of questions to do. Engage the process and you'll find yourself asking a lot less questions because you'll now trust God, you'll now trust the process, you'll know it's true, you'll know it works. And you won't need to be convinced by somebody trying to encourage you and telling you a hundred hopeful things to make you feel like it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And within this question, I mean, this person's asking, what will it be like when love rules? And I sort of feel like love already does rule the Ex- universe. Exactly. <laughs> it's just that we personally elevate our avoidance of fear to such an extent that we we can't even see what love is, as you mentioned with Correct. the codependence, and we we don't recognise that every law that's governing our existence right now is based in love and exactly. is designed to help bring us to love. So what will it be like when love rules? Well, it'll be like this. When we decide to act in harmony with it, then we'll begin to change. But Yeah, the reality is, um, like you say, very important for people to understand, isn't it? That love is already ruling. Yeah. So, so it's going to be exactly like it currently is when love rules. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, the only reason why it is so painful for people on earth is because the majority of people on earth are totally in disharmony with love. Yeah. And that's why there's so much pain and suffering. And that's also why they don't even think love rules. Mm-hmm. But the reality is love rules every single event that happens to you. Yeah. Every single event that is controlled by laws that are all governed by love. So, so... Like to, to then assume that, that, that love doesn't rule mm-hmm. is another presumption yeah. uh, that is obviously false. Yeah. Lo- love always rules. Yeah. But, of course, you're not going to feel that when you're in opposition to love. Yeah. 
Yeah. And when we're in codependent addiction, we're in complete opposition to love. Mm -hmm. And so therefore we're in the pain that naturally results from our opposition to love. Yeah. And it's from our opposition to love, yeah. not from the world's. Yeah. So our personal pain is a direct result of our own personal opposition to love. We are personally in opposition to love when we feel pain. Yeah. Like, so when I'm talking pain, any emotional pain, any physical pain, any pains at all are all indicators that we're in opposition to love. We ourselves are, not the world. Mm -hmm. We are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is where most people go wrong because they blame the world externally to themselves and say, oh, love doesn't rule this world. Yes, love does. Love completely rules this world. It's just that you're in so much opposition to it, and unfortunately so are billions yes, of others, of others. Yeah. That, that, that we are getting the complete results of our own opposition to love. Mm -hmm. which, and all the laws are trying to correct us still. Yeah. All the truth is still available to us, but we're just in complete opposition to it. Yeah. And we've got to remove the opposition. And this is what I feel most people don't do. They don't remove the opposition in inside of themselves towards love. Mm -hmm. And they don't, re and all the opposition comes from a lack of understanding of truth. And that comes from fears yeah. and other feelings generally. But it also comes from things like using our will to oppose love, like mm -hmm. purposefully using our will to oppose real love, purposefully using our will to feed our codependent addictions. Of course, when we do all of those things, we're not going to think love rules because the reality is in our world, we are attempting to rule rather than love and our condition is so far out of harmony with love that there's going to be so much pain that's attracted to our life as a result. Yeah. That's why it feels to us like love doesn't rule, yeah. but it's all of our own creation and we bear the direct responsibility for that. Yes, yeah. So there's a lot of misunderstandings and premises in these kind of questions that, that while I can answer the questions more directly, the whole premise of the question is usually so flawed that um, there's no much point answering yeah. the question directly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Good day. Our next question is from David. Mm -hmm. He's, he asks, Comforting my daughter if she wakes up from a nightmare and is scared feels right. I naturally go to hold her and tell her as much truth as I'm aware of. I say things like that I believe that there's a spirit world and sometimes these people will scare us, but they're just people like you and me. Sometimes wearing masks like at Halloween, but Daddy will always do everything I can to keep you safe. I say I love her and that I will work on myself so that there will be less and less of this happening to her. Mm. I just wanted to know what I feel might be happening and in the end to comfort her. I can see there's a fine line between going to addiction, not taking responsibility for what I attract, basically comforting myself, and, betw and between that and being a loving father. Mm -hmm. Where do you guys feel that line is? Would it be better and more loving just to feel my fear at that moment? Well, David, um, there's a lot of things you're skipping over here again in this question. So perhaps what we need to do is analyse things a little bit more deeply mm -hmm. in the question itself. Mm -hmm. And because I have met you, I obviously know <laughs> what emotions you are also avoiding. So let's talk about some of those. Yep. Firstly, your daughter feeling fear 
and waking up in an, from a nightmare feeling fear um, does not necessarily mean that you are afraid. If you look at what is happening in the event, you are coming to rescue a woman who's feeling fear. That's what's happening here. You are rescuing your daughter who is feeling fear and you, in the process, get to feel like you're a good dad. And to be honest, this is exactly what is happening between you and women. I just need a coffee again, sorry. So, so David, the first thing that we need to be aware of here is that you're really in this codependent addiction here and you're acting it out with your daughter. Now, you're actually acting it out with every woman in your life. Your daughter's fear is a reflection of your wife's fear rather than your own. So that's the first thing he needs to understand. Mm -hmm. the daughter, his daughter is waking up terrified because his wife is terrified when she's either asleep or awake. Mm -hmm. and, and the daughter waking up terrified is a reflection of her own denied emotional experience. <clears throat> her mother's own. Her mother's own yes. emotion, no, denied, no, I'm losing my voice again. Just let me stop. I, I just should mention everyone, I'm getting a bit hammered today from, from spirits and so forth and uh, I've had a busy day already, so that's why my voice keeps going on me and hopefully we'll, it'll clear up as we progress. Yeah. But getting back to the subject, the, the, the relationship that he has with women is this. Yeah. He is the rescuer. Mm -hmm. He meets many of his own addictions by becoming the rescuer. He gets to feel like he's either a good father or a good husband or a good man. Mm -hmm. And he's mostly rescuing women. Mm -hmm. So he gets to also have projections at him that are more sexual in nature, you know, particularly from his wife. Mm -hmm. And when his wife does not give him those feelings, he then feels sexually inadequate. Yeah. So he's looking to feel sexually inadequate adequate through the feelings that he gets projected at him from his wife. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, his wife's in a lot of fear. And we know that because his daughter is in a lot of fear. Yeah. And so his daughter is not in fear because of his fear. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And so this question, and this is similar with many other questions that we get, demonstrates that a lot of times a person asking a question has no real reflection of what's really going on. Yeah. They don't really understand what's going, what, what they've attracted and why. Yeah. When a woman goes into fear around David, David feels he must rescue her. Mm -hmm. That's what's going on. He doesn't want to feel why he's got to rescue her. He doesn't want to feel what he gets out of rescuing her. Yeah. But he never, so, he, so he goes into his addiction and rescues. Mm -hmm. and, and while I'm not saying that to, to hold your daughter and remind her about the truth is a bad thing, because I don't believe it is a bad thing. In this case, it is driven completely by his desire to rescue a woman from fear. Now, if it was me with his daughter, I would be saying, let yourself feel your fear. Let yourself go through your fear. Let yourself experience it. And if it was me, I would also be getting my wife into the room and saying, you have got a lot of denied fear because your daughter keeps on waking up with denied fear and I keep feeling like I've got to rescue it. Mm -hmm. And unless you deal with your denied fear, our daughter is going to keep waking up with it. 
And David doesn't want to do that with his wife because he, he finds that it's very, very difficult to confront any emotion in his wife without his wife becoming disappointed with him. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she becomes disappointed with him, he then now feels like an inadequate man. Mm-hmm. So in other words, he does not stand up for truth in the relationship with his wife, and his wife is in a lot of fear, and his daughter naturally is going to reflect the fear of his wife. Yeah. That's what's really happening. And he, through his own addictions, wants to feed the fear and wants to make it go away and then feels good about himself when he does, but it doesn't make the fear go away. Hence, the daughter will keep on waking up in fear. And that's an indication that his wife keeps on not addressing her own fear. Mm -hmm. That's what is actually happening in the relationship. And he does not want to address that with his wife. He would rather go and rescue his daughter. And that's what's really going on in this particular question. So just to be clear, um, David, his little girl's having a nightmare. He goes into the room and he... Yeah, why does he he go in and not his wife? Yeah. So that's the first question, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is his wife is not going to make his daughter's fear go away because she is in just as much fear that she denies and that's what his, his daughter is actually reflecting. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's he that goes into the room to, to try to sort out her fear. Yep. yep, yep. So that's the role he's invested in. He's invested in that role and so is she, his wife. Yes. Both of them are invested in those roles. She wants the man to make the fear go away. David spends a lot of his life, obviously, making her, his wife's fear go away. Mm-hmm. And he does whatever his wife suggests is the thing that she wants him to do. And a lot of his life is actually based around pleasing his wife, right? And this is what I would classify as a codependent, <laughs> addictive relationship. Now, of course, his wife probably doesn't want to hear that. And I don't know if David actually wants to hear that <laughs> either. But, but I, I, do, I have met David, so I know that he's quite open to hearing new truths. But I doubt whether he's as open as discussing them with his wife mm-hmm. as he is about reflecting upon them himself. Mm. And this is where he lacks courage. Mm -hmm. If a person is truly wanting to resolve this particular issue with the child, they'd have the courage to raise the issue with their wife. And the issue is the wife's wife's unresolved and and denial of fear. Yeah. Unresolved fear and denial of fear. Yep. And so to clarify, you're saying that David... Basically, him going into the room and being with his daughter at that time, mm-hmm. he's confusing the issue. He's thinking, she's reflecting my denied fear. Am I well, not? Well, no, David wants to believe that. That's David right. wants to believe that, he's, that the daughter is reflecting his denied fear, and she's not. Yeah. She's reflecting the denied fear of his wife. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and he wants to believe that because he does, he gets something out of making the fear go away personally, there's mm-hmm. an addiction involved, but also if he confronted his wife with her denied fear, she'd probably get angry and he doesn't want to receive her anger. So he's addicted to not being, you know, he's, he's addicted to having a smooth relationship with his wife, yeah. which means that he must make his wife's fear go away as well. Yeah. And so really he's thinking, I need to feel fear. Mm-hmm. Um, or I need to feel what's really going on for me is what he's telling himself. That's what he's telling himself. And 
you're saying that he doesn't really want to know what's going on for himself. No. But if he was to do the, to approach this issue in a more loving way, mm-hmm. then you're not saying that he. You're saying that he would then be feeling, ah, here's me in this role again. This is me rescuing a woman from fear. Mm-hmm. It may not be that he he, or he may still go in and tell, be with his daughter. Well, and but he wouldn't do what he's doing with truth. his daughter either. He would, but he wouldn't. The emotion coming out of him wouldn't be. It'd be different. Totally different. The emotion coming out of him towards his daughter was would be. I want you to be able to understand that you can cope with your fear. Yeah. You can feel it as an emotion. I want you to be able to go through the experience of it as an emotion. So that's number one. He'll be encouraging his daughter to go through the experience of fear rather than telling him her a whole heap of things that helps her get away from her fear. Yeah. Does that make sense? While he's telling her the truth, at the end she won't believe any of it until the fear is gone. Yeah. And the fear has to go through the experience and so she needs to experience it. Yeah. Now in this case, because she's a child, she's reflecting the denied fear of her mother. Mm-hmm. So, so unless her mother goes through her own fear, this, will con- this problem will continue. And what Dave is actually doing is shutting down his daughter's expression of the fear. So she, he's going to grow, she's going to grow up to be exactly like her mother. She's going to be denying her own fear and expecting a man to rescue her every time. And that's going to be a very codependent addiction that he's actually creating in the daughter. So it's actually quite a dangerous thing to do what he's doing, even though he's telling himself, he's telling her the truth. From an emotional perspective, what he's telling her is that she needs a man to rescue her from her fear. That's what he's telling her. And that that's a man who loves her. And he's also telling her that... Uh, you, you can't cope with fear. She, you need, telling, yeah, you need a man in order to cope with fear. You're not able to do it on you're your own. You're not able to do it by yourself. Yeah. That's yeah. what she's telling, he's yeah. telling her daughter. And, of course, this is exactly what his wife believes. Yes. Right? Yeah. So, and, and he's not unwilling to confront his wife, so that's mm-hmm. the second issue. He's unwilling to confront his wife and her fear. Yeah. And the reason was is because whenever his wife's fear is confronted, she gets angry. Yeah. And, and that's a normal response for most people who, who have their fear confronted unwillingly. Yeah. And he's afraid of her anger. It doesn't make him feel like a nice man when she's angry all the time. Mm-hmm. And so he reverts to pandering to her fear yeah. as a result. So... In addition, his wife is not bearing any responsibility for the daughter's fear. Mm -hmm. Because David is not telling his wife the truth and his wife refused to acknowledge the truth, she's she's refusing to see the link between her own denied fear and the daughter's expression of it. And that's very dangerous for both of them. She is basically now encouraging her daughter to go into fear, basically, through her denied actions, and at the same time encouraging her daughter to need a man to rescue her, yeah. which is exactly the addiction that her, she, his wife, has with him in their relationship. Yeah. So, so this is not a very good situation, and, and I can't agree that the course of action taken is the best course of action. Mm-hmm. While he is telling her the truth, he's not telling himself the truth, yes. and he's not telling his wife the truth, yes. and of course... He's encouraging the addiction in the daughter. Mm -hmm. And so this child, this girl child, is going to grow up to be an adult who eventually gets, obviously, with a man at some point, probably in her case, a man in some point. And what's she going to demand of the man? To do exactly what daddy does. And when that man doesn't do what daddy does, what's she going to think of that man? She's going to be angry. Angry. She'll certainly believe he doesn't love her. Yeah. She'll want to dismiss him and find another man who will take away her fear, who is not necessarily 
And she'll call a man who takes away her fear a man who loves her, yeah. which is a complete distortion of love. God doesn't take away our fear. Mm-hmm. God, ex- God expects us to feel it yeah. and experience it. That's what God expects. Mm-hmm. So, so he is creating an addictive nightmare for later on in her life yeah. and by not working through his own addictions and also challenging his wife to work through hers. And if I could clarify that with you, mm-hmm. um, you're basically saying that it's important that, they, that David and his wife, so the parents of this young girl, actually deal with the codependence in their relationship. Yes. Because when I know sometimes when parents hear things like this, they say, oh, well, it's better to leave them alone then because no. then they'll learn that they can deal with fear. When actually when a child is living in that soup of codependence, the emotional messages they're getting are uh, that the they can't deal with fear anyway. So Correct. leaving them alone is actually... So the emotional message coming from mum is to the daughter is, you can't deal with your own fear, you need a man to help you. Mm-hmm. That's the feeling she has. She feels that she can't deal with her own fear. She can't deal with her own safety. She can't deal with her own security. She needs a man to do it. Every time the man doesn't do it, she gets angry. Yeah. Right? That's what she's teaching her child. And that's what David is teaching his child. Yes. It's the same thing. He's yeah. teaching it that a man will come to your rescue, will mm-hmm. come to a woman's rescue. This is what makes a good man. Mm-hmm. A good man always comes to the woman's rescue rather than encouraging the woman to feel her own fear. Yeah. Right? Now... When that child grows up, that's what she's going to believe. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be complete distortion of love. It's completely the opposite of the way God loves. Yeah. Completely the opposite. Whereas we can instill in children um, a confidence in their ability to feel their own fear, can't we, by being with them and having that feeling within us. You're you fine. Can you can do this. You can, you yep. can go through that feeling. Yep. I'm here. I love you. You'll yep. be fine. You'll be fine. Go, just go through the feeling. Yep. It doesn't matter what it is, whether there's yep. monsters in the room or there's yep. a bad dream or any of those things. You can go through it. But, but with a child, you also have to address the other parent yep. or yourself. Yep. So if it was David who, who had all this fear, and it's not David who has this fear in the same way that the child has the fear, mm-hmm. David doesn't have those kind of fears. His fears are all relating to around pleasing the woman. Yeah. And, and that, you take that away from him and he's terrified. Yeah. Like if you take that goal away from him, he'll be terrified. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has never, ever actually dealt with issues front, face-to-face with his wife on these particular subjects and why he has a temptation to blame himself rather than looking at what's going on for what his partner. What else is going on, Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so you know, we can dis, we can distort the whole thing. This is a trouble with a, a, a mental, analytical way of looking at things. We can distort the entire thing and make it completely the opposite thing than what we what we what what is really going on, and in the process, feed our addictions rather than confronting them. Yeah. And what David needs to do to confront his addictions is to stop making a woman feel safe encourage her instead to go through her emotions of fear. Mm-hmm. Now, if he does that with his wife, I suggest that she would probably get quite angry. He could even explain to her that you're probably going to get quite angry <laughs> with me yeah. taking this approach. But, yeah. but honestly, you have a lot of fear and I keep on pandering to it. And this has got to stop if we're ever going to grow in our relationship and actually have a loving relationship. My role isn't to make your fear go away. Right? And your role isn't to tell me that I'm a great guy for making your fear go away. Yeah. Right? 
we, we need to have completely different roles that are based more upon love and not codependent addiction. Mm-hmm. Now, you can attempt to have that kind of conversation, but as you know, we've covered in our Human Relationships Partners series of FAQs, they might not respond at all. And, and to be honest, there's some questions coming up in the Human Relationship Partner issues where, um, where there are times when you might actually have to leave a relationship because the other party doesn't want to deal with any of their emotional addictions at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but in this case, I'd say both parents don't want to deal with their emotional <laughs> addictions at all yeah. yet because both parents haven't and both parents are actually acting out their emotional addictions and are bringing up a child who is eventually going to have exactly the same addictions that they have. That they have. Okay, thank you. All right. This next question is from Tim. Mm-hmm. He says, let's say you get very angry with a particular person. <laughs> let's say her name is Megan. I don't know a Megan. <laughs> you end up walking away from Megan in the situation and go into your bedroom and start smashing the pillow with your tennis racket. Mm-hmm. Is it helpful and loving to smash the pillow and yell, oh, F you, Megan, you <laughs> effing bitch. How could you do this to me? I mean, I'm connecting with the anger and yelling at the pillow and talking to it like it was Megan. <laughs> Let's assume by then Megan is many miles away and therefore cannot, yeah, <laughs> cannot hear or see this. Yeah. By doing this, am I still projecting anger at Megan? Yes, of course. And also, you're not understanding you're in complete addiction. The only time you wouldn't be in complete addiction doing this is if Megan was your mother or some other woman from your childhood who, that, had, really... who had harmed you in your childhood. Mm-hmm. If Megan is an adult and similar age to yourself, and I'm assuming that's what he's referring to here, <laughs> um, you know, then, then she isn't the cause of your of your addictions. She's not the cause of your fears. She's not the cause of your grief. She's just a, a, an attracted event, attracted by your own soul, in fact, yeah. in order to help expose within you an emotion that's out of harmony with love. That's all she is. She's not the cause of it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the trouble with this kind of rage. This kind of rage, which is an adult rage, is completely driven by the addiction not being met. Mm-hmm. So, so, is it Tim? Tim, yeah. Tim, you have an addiction with Megan. I know you don't know Megan. <laughs> <laughs> let's assume, let's replace Megan with the other woman you're really asking about. <laughs> you have an addiction with her. You want her to meet certain demands that you have. Mm-hmm. You want her to do what you want her to do. And when she doesn't do what you want, you now get angry. And, and the anger is exposing the fact that you have addictions that you're not willing to face and feel. And you don't want to face your feel and feel your addictions because underneath those addictions are a whole heap of fears that you don't want to face either. Mm-hmm. That's why you're getting angry. You're getting angry because the expectations and demands of your addictions are not being met, right? And these are all adult expectations and demands focused at an individual Who's, who's not from, I, I feel fairly sure, is not from his childhood, but rather is a person who's in his life currently and, and a person with whom he'd probably like to have a relationship, I would say, and that person is not meeting his addictions. Yeah. So, so the real problem is you're, all of this anger is just addiction not being met. 
and it's damaging. It's mm -hmm. going to damage you. It damages her further if she feels it. And it's going to definitely damage any potential relationship you might have with her. And it also is out of harmony with love because love would demand that you actually have a look at the addiction that drives this anger and rage that you feel. Mm -hmm. so, so feel angry, that's okay. Feel the anger because you don't want to stop the feeling. But you need to understand that it's totally because of all of your addictions and false beliefs that you've got this anger. You want this woman to do something for you that she's unwilling to do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be responding in the same way that you currently are. So you're saying feel the anger, but it's far more productive to feel the rage of not having your addictions met rather than feel the rage at the person. Yeah, when he goes and swears in his bedroom, he's not feeling the anger. Like he's acting out the, the expectation and demand mm -hmm. and, and he's blaming her mm -hmm. for it. He's mm -hmm. not feeling the anger. When you feel the anger, you don't blame the other person for it. No. Like he's blaming the other person for it. Yep. So, so this is not the feeling of anger. Yep. This is an addiction not being met and he's just having a big rebellious tantrum about his addiction not being met. That's all that's happening here. Yep. That's not feeling anger. Feeling anger, you don't need to project it at a person because it's a feeling that you can feel inside of you of anger that's inside of you and you just need to feel that. Yeah. And you'll find when you truly feel that, you'll just feel the frustration and anger. You won't have it directed at anybody when you truly feel that kind of anger. Mm -hmm. You'll also get closer to what it's about, which is the addiction that you have, don't want, that you want meant, met that is not met by the relationship. Mm -hmm. So what's the addiction? So, Tim, you need to find what the addiction you have with the woman that you want to yell and scream at, or the man, if it's a man, in, yep. you know, that you want to yell and scream at. Yep. Like, what's the addiction? What, what is she not doing that you expect her to do? Right? That's where you need to start. And once you feel your way through that addiction, you'll feel a whole heap of fears. And for men in relationships with women, there's huge fears, you know, that most men have. They're afraid the woman will run off with another man. They're afraid the woman will run off with another man, uh, you know, from a sexual perspective. But also, you know, they'll run off with another man from a um, perspective of just wanting some security or some mm -hmm. kind of safety or some other thing that this man can uh, provide. There's all sorts of fears that you might have that you're denying and getting angry about. Yeah. Um, and those fears are driving your addiction to have a woman fully engaged with you all the time, fully connected with you all the time, fully, fully wanting you all the time and also listening to you all the time and all these other things that you're demanding of this woman, which, which is just demand. It's not a, it's not a loving relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't love her. You're an addiction, codependent mm -hmm. addiction with her. And by the sounds, it's not very codependent. <laughs> she, she's not that happy with <clears throat> if, she, if she... Well, yeah, and I think Tim is trying to make a hypothetical question about what, what happens when we get angry and how do we... Yeah. yeah. Can I also address this issue of asking hypothetical questions? Yeah. Hypothetical questions are not sincere. No. Right? They're not sincere. Ask sincere questions, Tim. This, this is some, these are things that have happened in your life. Be honest about it. Ask sincere questions. Yeah. The fact that you are already distancing yourself from your own life is an indication of how much you do not want to face the fact that these problems exist in your own mm -hmm. life. Ask a question that involves your own life and, and you know, that is, that is truthful rather than asking a question that you manufacture. Right? Yeah. So it's very important as well.
So we're discussing the expression of anger mm -hmm. in this question. Can I extend that question a little bit? Sure, sure. Uh, I know a lot of women have this idea that they're just angry at men or, yeah, that's probably the group of spirits who are asking me this to ask you this question right mm -hmm. at this moment, mm -hmm. uh, is about if they're just angry with men, how do they deal with that from what you're saying that they shouldn't, they shouldn't be just feeling angry with men? Well, they, well, they're in their addiction not being met. If they're just angry with men, it's because of an addiction. What's the addiction? They're afraid of, they're afraid of men. And getting angry with men makes them feel powerful over mm -hmm. men, makes mm -hmm. them feel more secure and safe, makes mm -hmm. them feel better than men, makes them feel a lot of things that they don't actually feel if they're honest with themselves. So, so in this case, him getting angry with a woman does the same thing. Yeah. He's just getting angry with a woman, makes him feel better about himself, makes him feel like he's right, makes him feel like she's got the problem and not he, and so forth. It just makes him feel a whole heap of things, that none of which are true, right? Yeah. Because he actually has a whole heap of insecurities. Mm -hmm. and, and, and these are all fears. If you're unwilling to look at your fears and feel them, you will revert to this addictive uh, and damaging behaviour. That's the reality. What you need to do instead is feel the past. Feel what's happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And when I say what's happened in the past, most of the time it's what's happened in your childhood informative years or what's happened through very painful events in your life. So, so, for example, if you were 15 or 20 or 25 and you were raped, obviously that's going to be a painful event. And there's certain fears that came up as a, a, from that painful event. And there must have been a predisposition inside of your soul of emotion that has come from your family for that event to have occurred. So, in other words, your mother probably was afraid of being raped or might have been raped or abused. Mm -hmm. your, your father might have been a rapist or a child molester or a person who looks down upon women and doesn't really care very much for her or so forth. Or a man who basically feels that women need him mm -hmm. sexually in order to survive. And these are all emotions that came from your childhood. What you need to do instead of projecting them at the current relationship is to delve back into the past and see the causes of them. That is the only way to deal with why you're angry. You're not angry because of the event. You're angry because of past events. And now you feel justified in your anger and you feel your anger is powerful and you feel your anger is good and you feel your anger is more preferable than your fear and so forth. And that's why you revert to your anger. You revert to your anger because your addictions aren't getting met. Mm -hmm. It is far better to go back to the addiction and go, what addiction is not getting met? And, and each addiction covers a fear. So what's the fear that I have here? Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of times when we've been harmed, the fear is that we deserved it or, and you know, you were told that we deserved it as a child, we got harmed further as an adult, we were told we deserved it then. And after a while we feel we deserve it, then we get rebellious against feeling that feeling. And then we go into these other, you know, rageful places, rebellion places, tantrum places. They aren't going to help us progress. To help us progress, what we need to do is go back to the causes of these particular problems. And that means going back to what you're terrified about and feeling your terror about it, rather than reverting to rage. So this kind of adult anger is completely uh, purposeless, actually. It also harms other people, and therefore we become a participant in the harm of others, which degrades our soul condition. In other words, we get darker in our own soul 
as we project these kind of rages towards other people. And so you've spoken in the past about when you feel angry, go and punch a punching bag or mm-hmm. let it out But in I'm some now way. talking about the kind of rage where you're connected with it, not the kind of rage where you're blaming someone else for it. Yeah. I, I understand. So I go outside and go, ah! you know, but, uh, but uh, it's not at anybody. It's just a feeling of frustration inside yeah. of me that's built up to the point of rage and I just, uh, just release it. Yeah. Then I feel, well, what am I frustrated about? Ah, oh, that's what it's about. I just wanted this to happen or I just want, there's my addiction. I just wanted this to happen or I wanted that to happen and it didn't happen. What, what is it about? Yeah. And now I can start to analyse, ah, oh, this is all about this emotion or that emotion. I ne- I'm not open to feeling it, obviously. I, so I can pray about developing a desire to be open to feeling that particular emotion or that particular fear that I'm trying to resist so that I don't get angry in the future. And once I work my way through that emotion and receive God's love about that situation, I won't get angry in the future from the same event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's proof that I've finished. Yep. That's proof that I've done the job yep. Yep. of releasing the real cause of this problem. Yep. Yep. So when we keep on getting angry with the same person over and over again and keep on getting frustrated, it's not a lack of love in them that causes that. It's a lack of love in ourselves yes. that causes that. Yeah. And that's what we need to focus on and address. Mm -hmm. Mm. Our next question is from Deirdre. Sure. She says, can you still experience grief if you don't experience any fear? I've only experienced fear, shaking legs, twice, yet I've been emotional, that is crying, a lot more than twice. Well, as I've pointed out in many occasions, women generally would prefer to feel grief than fear. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the kind of grief they're feeling is not the causal emotional grief that's going to heal them, but rather the rebellion grief uh, of not getting their addictions met. So I would suggest to Deirdre that mostly what she's experiencing is not her causal emotional grief, but rather the rebellious addiction grief that comes from having a tantrum and not having your addictions met. Because the reality is you won't get below your fear into your causal grief unless you're willing to feel your fear. And if you've only felt your fear twice, you know, and a very short period of time, then I would suggest that you're quite resistive to feeling fear. Mm -hmm. And therefore you've probably got quite a lot of addictions and therefore you've got a lot of crying to do when those addictions don't get met. And what happens to the average person when their addictions don't get met is they feel, they cry or they get upset, but the reality is it's not causal grief that they're experiencing. And the proof of that is that their life isn't changing. Yeah. And I know Deirdre as well, and I know that while her life has changed a little, it hasn't changed very much. Yeah. And that's an indication that she's not getting to causal grief, even though she's done a lot of crying. Yeah. So what she's doing is actually what I'd call rebellion or tantrum. It's a, it's a grief that you experience when your addictions do not get met. Mm-hmm. You're far better off to focus on your addictions in a more positive manner and have a good look at them and analyse them and feel about them. Feel the actual addictions in play. Feel why, why they are unloving. Most of what happens to us in, in terms of our life is the cause of what the choices that we have made that are, that are unloving. And most of us are making choices every single moment of every day that are unloving while we believe they're loving. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the sad thing about our life. And this is why most people have not progressed very well on the divine love path because 
to actually get to causal emotion which heals you, you have to be very, very honest with yourself. And the majority of people are not that honest with themselves, unfortunately. They, they cry and they go, oh, AJ says that it's good to cry because they're feeling my emotion. I'm feeling my emotion. Isn't it wonderful? I'm crying. I should be progressing. Oh, five years later, it still feels like I'm crying about the same issues. But, you know, why aren't I progressing? Oh, all this divine truth stuff's all crap. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's where the average person goes. Mm -hmm. But they go that direction because they're not actually honest with themselves. They haven't felt any causal grief. They've only felt their grief that comes from not having their addictions met. And that kind of grief is a tantrum and it does not heal anything. In fact, it is a projection out onto the world or other people that actually is harmful to you and the other person. So it actually degrades your condition feeling that kind of grief Mm -hmm. rather than looking at what's underneath it. So while you're allowed to feel your emotions of grief if you want to, that you've self-deludedly created, it's not going to benefit you in the long run. You need to get into feeling the addiction you have and then feeling the fear that drives it. And when you do that, then you'll start to actually feel quite a lot of grief. Mm -hmm. And uh, the average person has quite a lot of grief to feel, you know. And it wouldn't surprise me if the average person starts getting into their grief uh, once they get into it fully and, and open-heartedly, it might take them a few years to feel through all of their grief yeah. because it, it, it usually took 15 years for it to enter them. Mm-hmm. And there's, so there's quite a lot of it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. Mm. This next question is from Johan. Mm-hmm. He asks, is being emotionally shut down always a result of fear or a telltale sign of fear? Well, yes, it's always a result of fear and terror. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the reason why we become emotionally shut down. But we also need to understand that fear as an emotion is a whole set of belief systems that are all false. Yeah. And and the reason why we become emotionally shut down is because we believe, uh, emotionally believe, a whole heap of things that are completely false from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. So that's the primary reason why we become emotionally shut down. It's a choice that we make to continue in our belief systems that are false. So truth is going to help us open up that. Truth is going to help us expose the beliefs inside of us that are false. And in the process of exposing it, if we allow some of the emotions to flow during the exposure, then of course we start to become emotionally sensitive. And it's great to be emotionally sensitive. In fact, in the end, we want to be completely emotionally sensitive and open and that, that is the best way of progressing once you're emotionally sensitive and open. But it did take me many, uh, probably, probably over one whole year of effort before I became emotionally sensitive and open and allowed myself to connect to that inner child within who was injured and hurt. And, and for the average person, it takes probably longer than that, actually, to connect to that because there's so many false beliefs surrounding feeling that inner child, that child's experience. And most of those false beliefs usually were established by the environment and by, in particular, our parents. Mm -hmm. Our parents browbeated their belief systems of why we should not feel specific emotions into us. And then often they used emotional techniques or violence, abusive techniques, to to reinforce their belief systems inside of us. Mm -hmm. And so most of us are petrified of feeling any emotion as a result. Yeah. And because of that, we also become very emotionally shut down. And every person who has manic depression or depression is emotionally shut down 
from experiencing their emotions. Mm -hmm. And what I would suggest to every person who has manic depression or depression, that they look very sincerely at the techniques their family use to shut down their emotional experience. Yeah. And in particular, their emotional experiences, even of anger, mm -hmm. but also of fear and grief. Because you get to the point where you shut down everything and that's why you get depressed. Yeah. So, so mental illnesses such as depression are the direct result. They're not really mental illnesses. They're emotional illnesses. Yes. They, I wouldn't class them as a, classify them as a mental illness, but rather an emotional illness caused by the suppression that came of, our, of emotions during our childhood. And the only way to undo the effects of it is to allow ourselves to examine our childhood with more honesty and allow ourselves to begin to feel some of those childhood emotions. Yeah. And to do that, we need to become sensitive to the inner child, mm -hmm. the child who experienced those emotions and locked them all up at the ages that those emotions occurred. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've had more struggle with self-harm lately than I've had in the last few years. My guides have told me that I would prefer to harm myself than feel my pain. Mm -hmm. I've recognised and felt a little bit of hating myself and wanting to harm myself. It came up one day when I, had, when I got a really bad headache. Mm -hmm. I've had feelings of being really angry about being responsible for things that have happened to me. I've spoken to God about how because I feel so responsible that I just don't want to be responsible for anything, not even myself. But I still can't feel why I hate myself so much and I don't understand why I would want to destroy myself. Hmm. Well, first I'd like to say to this lady uh, that, yes, your guides are correct. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm assuming, again, it's a lady. I'm not sure. I don't have the um, agenda. But, you, yeah, your guides are correct. You, you, are, you would rather harm yourself than feel the real feelings that are going on within you. And... If you look at more sincerely at what the guides have actually said, um, even though I don't think I don't think it's actually included here, but I've, the feeling I have from the guides is that she's act, they've actually said more to her than that. Yeah. She, they said to her that you'd rather harm yourself than feel your own pain. However, they also were trying to say to her why she would rather harm herself than feel her own, her own pain, pain. Yeah. which is all about how. She, she has been sort of abused in her childhood and in her life. Yeah. It's all about the fact that she would prefer, she's been taught to prefer to harm herself than, than to feel the harm that was perpetrated by her parents towards her. Yeah. And she was taught emotionally by her parents to do that. She was taught to accept the blame for everything that happened to her. And in fact, the rest of her question demonstrates that, yes. that she has been taught that and that she thinks she now has to accept the blame for everything. Yeah. You don't have to accept the blame for everything. You only need to accept the blame for things that you actually did that were your fault. And when you're a child, very little of what you actually did was your fault, mm -hmm. even though your parents suggested or, or blamed you or emotionally told you or physically through punishment told you that it was your fault. So what she would rather do is she'd rather punish herself because that's what she was taught to do yeah. by her parents. She'd rather punish herself than feel that her parents are to blame and to feel that her parents are the fault and to feel what her parents actually did, which is the true extent of her pain. Mm -hmm. So she'd rather punish herself than feel her real pain. 
Now, this will go on forever. It can go on for a long period of time yeah. until you stop doing it to yourself. Yeah. You need to come to terms with the fact that you did not create this childhood pain, no matter what you did. Yeah. You did not create this childhood pain. A child, by nature, automatically experiences all of its emotions without needing assistance. If the child has emotions suppressed, which is what the parents generally do with the child, then the child accumulates pain. So all of the accumulated pain inside of you is not the result of your own fault. It's not all your own choices. Mm -hmm. It's the result of, or the fault of, the choices of your parents. Yeah. And unless you face that fact, you will never get out of this cycle of blaming yourself. So this is where most of her effort needs to be directed. Yeah. She needs to direct the effort towards dealing with the feelings associated with how she was attacked and suppressed by her parents, yeah. rather than blaming herself for everything that goes wrong in her life. Yeah. Now, of course, she now is in rebellion about even taking any responsibility. For anything. For anything. Yeah. And usually people who have been treated like this during their childhood want to actually avoid any responsibility now for any decision. Mm -hmm. They want to avoid any responsibility for self-care. They want to avoid any responsibility for determining what they do with the rest of their life. They want the government or somebody else to look after them. Yeah. They, they refuse to do any work to look after themselves. And that's all the rebellious emotion, the anger-based emotion, yeah. avoiding the fear associated with the childhood experience of grief. Mm -hmm. So this is the problem that she faces. And to be frank, a lot of people face exactly the same problem. Yeah. A lot of people face this problem where they either revert to self-punishment or they blame the world rather than feeling their own pain yeah. about what happened in their childhood experience. And there is a direct relationship to their refusal mm -hmm. to acknowledge the truth of their own childhood. So I would suggest that if she's finding it difficult to acknowledge the truth of her own childhood, that she maybe goes along and finds a psychologist or a psychiatrist of some kind who not, doesn't put her on a drug, but mm -hmm. rather helps her go through the emotional process of finding the truth about her own childhood yeah. as to why she feels so, you know, self-blaming and self-punishing now. Yes. And that would be very, very helpful for this person to do that. Yeah. And the last part of her question, she says, I, I can't feel why I hate myself so much and I don't understand why I would want to destroy myself. Mm. Really what you're saying there is that the, that, that desire, that urge, um, feels so strong in her because it's in place of her feeling what happened in her childhood. So she's... It's not only that. She has a high amount of fear associated with feeling what happened to her in her childhood because yep. of what her parents did whenever she felt in her childhood. Yeah. So her parents always blamed her yep. for whatever they created in her. Yeah. And so as a result, she has learned the only way to get the approval of her parents is to continue to blame herself. Mm -hmm. And so she does that automatically. Of course, it's a spiral that goes out of control eventually and usually causes even suicide. And, and it is an angry spiral, really, it's an anger towards, directed towards oneself, yeah. which is a repeating of the anger that the parents directed towards you. Yeah. 
if you allow yourself to feel the level of anger and rage that your parents directed at you, you will find that they were the causes of this suppression mm -hmm. and also the causes of this learned behaviour. Once you go through those emotions, you will not want to harm yourself, but rather you'll probably feel like harming your parents, which is progress in a direction, <laughs> yeah. not the solution. No. <laughs> but it is progress in the sense that you are at least now assigning responsibility of this harm to the people who created it. Yeah. Right? You need to also progress beyond that point and go through the emotions involved, the painful emotions involved of their creation and get to forgive them, that's when you will be completely free mm -hmm. of the actual things that they did. Mm -hmm. but, but while you blame yourself, you're avoiding that entire process. Yeah. So psychologically, while you blame yourself, you, you, get, you, you let yourself off the hook of blaming the person who actually created the problem. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, you then get into this place where you become exhausted blaming yourself and then you feel like just you know, exiting life. Yeah. And honestly, every person who exits life and arrives in the spirit world with these emotions feels exactly the same emotions even in the spirit world. So the whole de the suicidal death is pointless. Yeah. Instead, you would be far better off allowing yourself to go through the process of actually feeling the pain associated with the childhood experience. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're finding it difficult to connect with the pain associated with your childhood experience and identify the pain associated with the childhood experience, then my suggestion is to get some professional help to help you identify and see the pain of your childhood experience. And even if that professional help doesn't help you go through it emotionally, you at least can identify it and then go through the emotions yourself. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Next question is from Linda. Mm -hmm. She asks, why do I want to torture myself by not dealing with the true causes of physical pain? <laughs> Sometimes I feel like saying, I don't know. <laughs> Why do you want to torture yourself? Well, honestly, I can probably say for Linda, because I know Linda, uh, why she wants to torture herself rather than feel the true causes of her physical pain. Because she feels the emotions, which are the true cause of her physical pain, are mm -hmm. too hard to feel and she would prefer to torture herself than feel them. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah. Like the fact is that many of us are so afraid of dealing with emotional pain that we'd rather harm ourselves further physically than deal with our emotional pain. Many of us would rather have cancer and die than deal with our, our emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And it is emotions that cause cancer. So, you know, that's a direct correlation between many of these diseases that we eventually get and also finish up dying from to our avoidance of the, of the actual emotional pain that creates them. Mm -hmm. Now, to reverse this is the real question that mm -hmm. Linda's asking. How do I reverse this problem? Well, by developing a will to actually go through emotional pain, mm -hmm. by understanding that there are huge benefits of going through emotional pain, understanding that your relationship with God is dependent upon you, we being willing to go through emotional pain, Understanding that God wants to help you go through your emotional pain. Have trust in God that God wants to help you go through emotional pain. Understand that God's universe has been created to help you release your emotional pain and so forth. Yeah. These are all things that you can start to reflect upon and develop a will, a desire enough that you're willing to go through your emotional pain rather than create physical pain. Mm -hmm. So that would be my suggestion. Allow yourself to go through the emotional pain then you will not be torturing yourself with physical pain anywhere near as much. And that's, a, that's the beautiful thing is you, you end up having, your body finishes up releasing pains 
and you finish up having no pain at all, in fact. With myself, I've found that that's been the case a lot. Like, I had huge amounts of pain by the time I was 33 years of age, and I, I did wonder many times whether I would die in my early 30s as a result of the amount of pain I was in. Mm -hmm. and, and once I started to engage my emotions, almost all of my physical pain disappeared. And it was only the emotions that I refused to engage that was causing any other physical pain other than the ones that, you know, other than the one I'd gone through and released. Yeah. So I, I used to be, you know, a terribly sickly person as a result of my complete denial of my emotional pain. Mm -hmm. And at some point I had to get to the point of saying, okay, I've had enough of this now. I'm not going to do this anymore. What I'm going to do instead is I'm going to choose to feel my emotional pain. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose to go through my emotional pain no matter what it takes, no matter how long it's going to take. And I've been doing it for nearly, what, 17 years now, something like that, 18 years. Um, and it doesn't, like, there's still things I need to address and deal with myself, things that have been very stubborn. Mm -hmm. I'm now down to the things that I had that caused sickness and illness in me when I was two years of age and one year of age. So, so I'm now... I've now got rid of almost all the other things other than those things, but there's still obviously resistance. Yeah. And that's why I torture myself with my own physical pain because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still resisting some emotions and I need to, and, and I, like everyone else, needs to start acknowledging at least that, that, we, that our physical pain is directly caused by our resistance of our emotional pain. Mm. The common feeling within me is, Will I ever get out of the tears? Why do I feel this way? You feel this way because you're actually feeling the tears of rebellion, the tears of, of what I'd call the tantrum. Mm -hmm. You're not feeling causal grief. And you're not feeling causal grief because you've yet to go through your addictions and you've yet to go through your fears. Every person who feels the tears of their, of their addictions not being met gets in a cycle and they get in a never-ending cycle you can feel you can cry for the rest of your life and never deal with anything that way yeah and eventually you become exhausted from crying but you still haven't dealt with anything right and that's telling you that if there's if no change is occurring you're actually processing a self-deception emotion so your tears are self-deceptive they are the cause they they sorry are caused by you denying your addictions or, and or crying when they're not met. Mm. So the, the, it's all about the avoidance of processing through your addictions. That's the reason why you're in this never-ending cycle of dealing with tears. Yeah. A person who is truly progressing does not do this. A person who truly progresses sees that the tears are the direct result of their own false beliefs, their own fears, and the direct result of them wanting their addictions met from, you know, their, their false beliefs, they want to cover their fears mm -hmm. with their addictions and they want their addictions met. And when their addictions are not met, they revert to crying. Yeah. And they're not seeing that their tears are a direct result of, of their desire for their addiction to be met and it's not being met. Mm -hmm. And they don't want to feel their addictions. And so they're not being honest with themselves. And my suggestion is if you want to get through this never-ending cycle of tears, you're going to need to be far more honest with yourself and actually see that you're actually crying in a tantrum. And what would, what would a person be feeling if they were in their causal tears? 
Why wouldn't they be having that feeling, will I ever get out of the tears? Because they could feel it being released from them right at the time they're doing it. They feel a change in their body. Their law of attraction will immediately change. There'll be an immediately joyful response Mm -hmm. to their attractions. There's so many differences between that and where this person is. If If you're crying over and over again without any change happening in your life, then it's an indication that you're not addressing the right thing. And usually it means that you're not addressing your issues of addictions and you're just having a good cry because you think that that's the way you've been taught to have a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And, and so most people are just in a tantrum, really, when they're crying. And, and that's not processing emotion at all. That's not processing through addiction. That's not processing through fear. And it's certainly not processing cause of grief. When you feel the cause of grief, you'll feel relief afterwards. Mm-hmm. You won't cry about the same thing again, in fact. In fact, in fact, if you think about the same thing again, it would hardly bring a tear to your eye at all. And in fact, you'll get to the point where it won't bring any tears to your eyes because it's all been cried out. Yes. You can remember the same events and you won't cry about them anymore. The same, uh, the same events will not happen to you again either, by the way. So in other words, you won't attract the same events anymore. Your attractions will be very different. You'll attract different people into your life. The old people will probably leave your life, many of them, because they will probably remain in their own addictions for a while. Mm -hmm. And new people will come into your life and your life will change. These are all indications that you've actually made progress. If if these things don't happen and you're just going around in a cycle, then you're not actually making progress at all, right? You're just going over and over and over and over the same old thing. And the same old thing is you you, you have addictions that you don't want to face and whenever you don't get them met, you want to have a good cry about it as if the world's going to respond to your tears. Okay. And, that, and the world won't respond to your tears in addiction. The universe only responds to you releasing a causal emotion. And causal emotions of grief are not based around anger or rage or addictions or fears. They're all much, much deeper than that. And, and we need to get into those if we really want to have a change in our day-to-day life. Mm. Does feeling afraid or feeling your fear but not experiencing it actually release any fear at all? (laughs) So I think we need to clarify what this person's asking a little bit, don't we? Well, firstly, you can see how the person thinks. The person thinks that feeling is is not experiencing. What? (laughs) Like, no. When you're truly experiencing an emotion, you are fully feeling it. You are fully experiencing it and feeling it. So what she's doing is thinking about her feelings or remaining in the feeling or acting in the feeling without feeling it. That's what she's doing. And that's very, very different than experiencing it. And it's very different than feeling it. Yeah. Feeling it is the same as experiencing it. Yes. So so there's already a, a mistaken belief in the question. Yeah. In the question, she's basically saying that you can feel something without experiencing it. No, you can't. Yeah. You can't feel it without experiencing it. And if you're trying to convince yourself that you are feeling it without experiencing it, then you're not, you're not being honest with yourself. Yeah. When you experience the emotion, that's when you're feeling it. Until then, you're not really feeling it. You're just sitting on it. Yeah. You're just living in it, sitting on it, and it's locked up inside of you. She needs to allow herself to look at all of the material regarding how the human soul functions. Mm-hmm. And, and so that way she'll be able to understand that actually experiencing the emotion is feeling the emotion. 
Yeah, and what we often call feeling an emotion is just having a sense of it, but preventing it, overwhelming us. Of course, it? it's fighting against it's, it. It's sort of, oh, there it is, no, 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 no. And we exactly. say we're feeling sad or afraid or angry. No. But when you're truly feeling sad, you'll be, have tears running down yeah. your face. When you're truly feeling happy, you'll be laughing and smiling and so forth. When you're truly feeling angry, you'll be yelling and screaming and carrying on. When you're truly feeling shame, you feel really this hot flushes of shame come over you. When you're truly feeling emotions, you have all of these physiological and verbal experiences yeah. when you're truly feeling it. And you let them go. You let them happen. You don't judge them. You just let them flow. That's what happens when you're truly experiencing and feeling an emotion. <laughs> Now, she's basically saying in this question, isn't she, that you can feel afraid or feel your fear without experiencing it. No, you can't. You're just sitting on it. You're avoiding it. You're avoiding your fear. You're avoiding, avoiding feeling afraid. You're running away from it. You're trying to suppress it. You're trying to resist it. That's what you're trying to do. So look at all of, those, all of that material on how the human soul functions about resistance, suppression, and, and, you know, this kind of stuff about how one emotion, you know, a good emotion can't enter you unless a bad one leaves you. And all these principles she needs to understand. And, and emotion can't leave you unless you experience and feel it. They're, they're the same thing. Yeah. You know, so she, she's not feeling the emotion. So She's got an awareness the emotion exists within her and she's petrified of it. Yeah. And she doesn't want to feel it. And so then if we rephrase the question mm -hmm. as it was perhaps intended. No, it wasn't intended. But go on, rephrase it as you okay. intend. <laughs> oh, well, whatever, as well, I Well, I feel quite strongly that there's this, there's this belief in this person that, that you can do something magical to experience your fear rather than feeling it. Yeah, <laughs> I feel that they're really asking, does me having a sense of my, my fear or an intellectual awareness of my fear actually release any fear at all? And I think That's, I've already clearly yeah. answered that question over and over again in all of these presentations. Yeah. No, if you have an intellectual awareness of your fear, you are not feeling it. You are not experiencing it. Therefore, you will never release from you. Yeah. What, and it's most of the people with regard to fear ask this kind of question. And the reason why, most people do not want to feel the emotion of fear. Mm -hmm. The emotion of fear is an uncomfortable emotion to feel. It mm -hmm. is. It's one of the worst emotions to feel. Mind you, there are other emotions that can be just as bad to feel, like sexual shame, for example, is a pretty hard emotion to feel too. There are some emotions, though, that are just more difficult to feel than others uh, because of their power, yeah. the, the, how strong they are. And fear or terror is one of those emotions. But the answer is still the same. It's just an emotion mm -hmm. that you can feel. God designed your soul to feel it. There is no single emotion you could ever feel that's going to damage your soul. What damages your soul and what damages you psycho psych psychologically is not feeling. That's what damages you. That's what your attempts to shut down and, and keep under control your emotions is what damages you. Mm -hmm. It's not the expression of these emotions, the feeling of these emotions that damages you. It's the suppression and the resistance to the emotion that damages you. Mm -hmm. And this is why I recommend this person has a good look at how the human soul functions and looks at all of that material that we've presented as FAQs. Mm. Mm. I think a lot, of, a lot of us want, because of the nature of fear, because, as you said, it feels unpleasant, because most people, especially women, have never had the experience of being overwhelmed by fear their entire life. Yeah. Um, and then others and are then, fear junkies, like men. some men are fear junkies and they can't handle grief. 
you know, it just yeah. depends on uh, what we've been brought up with as to what kinds of emotions we generally don't handle. Yeah. So because of that, then a lot of times, um, because of the nature of fear, a lot of people then want to want to say, oh, but I think I felt a little bit of that. Did that help? You know, because and that's just a symptom of the fear, yeah. isn't it? It's yeah. the feeling of of when faced with the truth that we're going to have to feel this to get it out of us, mm. a lot of us then go, oh, hang on, I had a little sense of it, uh, you know, yeah. did that help? And really... And if you're asking, did it help? It didn't help. Yeah. Because <laughs> you and know... feel that's what this person's asking. Yeah, yeah. You, you know when going through... When, a, when you go through a causal emotion of fear or, or grief or some other related causal emotion, there is a sense of relief and peace afterwards mm -hmm. and when you last for God's love to enter you at that time just you get God's love into you and it's just such a peaceful place that you know you've done something different yeah you know for certain you don't need to ask anybody mm. you'll know for yourself that you've done it mm -hmm. and and probably many times for the first time you'll <laughs> you notice you know when you first begin this process and you have that one experience it's getting to the point of having that one experience and to do that, we've got to get through our addictions and we've got to get through our denial and our suppression. And that, that is the hard work. The hard work is getting through your layers of denial, getting into your layers of addictions, getting through your layers of addictions and actually beginning to feel your fear. Once you get into beginning feeling your fear, things can progress more rapidly after then because you, you will now have some experiences where you release some fear and the next day you'll sleep like a baby <laughs> as the saying goes, you'll have a peaceful day, your law of attraction will instantly show you, the law of attraction itself will instantly show you that your soul has changed, things around you will respond differently to you, everything around you will demonstrate to you, you've actually made a change. If you've got to ask the question, have I changed? You probably haven't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you probably haven't. And so you have yet to get through your addictions or your denial. And so I'd suggest for someone who's asking this kind of question, look, look at your denial and look at your addictions. That's the place for you to start. This question is from Mario. Mm -hmm. He asks, Hello, how Mario. much... <laughs> from Sweden, I gather. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is Mario from yeah. Sweden. How much is spirit influence increasing my fear? None at all. <laughs> this is something that a lot of people tell themselves. When they hear about spirits, they go, oh, these spirits are doing this to me, or these spirits are doing that to me. These spirits are increasing my fear, or whatever. No, they're not increasing it. It's already there. They're attracted to it. They're manipulating it. They're using techniques to heighten it so that you can start to feel it. But it's actually a, a positive attraction. Your soul is attracting these spirits in order to help you understand that your soul is in fear. And that whenever they say or, or whenever they particularly suggest things to you that cause your fears to increase, it's not that your fears are increasing, it's that, that you're now becoming sensitive to what fear is really there in the first place. Mm -hmm. right? And that, there's a big difference between increasing fear and actually feeling the fear of what is there in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's increasing his ability to feel the fear that's present in him already. Mm -hmm. That's what it's doing. And it's a loving process because that's what he needs to do. He needs to allow himself to feel the fear that's already there in the first place. And while those spirits are not around him, then of course what they're doing is they are 
you know, if those spirits weren't around him, mm -hmm. he wouldn't probably be sensitive to the fear that he has in, in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so therefore he wouldn't feel it. There's another aspect to his question though, and that is that if, uh, if we have spirits around us and we are not feeling our fear, they manipulate us by using our fear to do thing, other things or to believe other things or turn us into anger, mm -hmm. right? And spirits do this very easily because what they do is they find the, they find the injury in our soul, which is quite apparent to them because they can see the colours of the injury. And then what they do is they, create, they try to manufacture events around us or suggest words to us that we're sensitive to responding to because we're open in this regard to that particular problem. And so what they do is they suggest things to us or make things happen around us that cause us to, to act in harmony with our fear. In other words, do what our fear dictates or to be more specific, do what our addictions mm -hmm. dictate to suppress our fear. And, and this is one major way in which spirits gain control of a person on earth. What they do is they use the person's desire to meet their own addictions, the person on earth, mm -hmm. to meet their own addictions. Most people on earth have a desire inside yep. of themselves yep. to meet their own addictions. And so they, these spirits use that desire of the person to yep. meet their own addictions, to meet the, the addictions of the spirits <laughs> as well. Yep. Right? And of course, they'll be very attracted to a person who's willing to go along with that. Mm -hmm. right? And they'll get very angry with a person who is not willing to go along with that. Yeah. And most people on earth are very afraid of anger and very afraid of attack. Mm -hmm. And so they'll do almost anything a spirit suggests as a result. But that's not the spirit increasing their fear. The spirit is exposing their fear. So that's how we need to see it. Mm. So my suggestion to you, Mario, is that if you think a spirit is increasing your fear, that is not true. The spirits are exposing the true level of fear that exists within you. Yeah. And that's what you need to be aware of. And that is a loving thing. It's a loving provision if you think about it. How else would you feel this level of fear without somebody exposing it? <laughs> you need to let yourself feel it so that you can release it. So like I have had tremendous amounts of fear inside of myself and so frequently I've been surrounded by spirits who are trying to increase the level of fear that's inside of me and I've allowed them to do so mm. so that I can go through the experience and feel my fear properly and release it and it's helped me release a lot of emotions that way. Mm. So just because you get attacked by a group of spirits or attacked by people on earth it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's, a, it's an unloving thing towards yourself. It just depends on how you respond to it. You can respond to it in such a way that, actually, that it actually helps you. And many of the spirits who have been trying to stop me from teaching divine truth on the planet over the past few years in particular have actually helped me work through emotions that I would have otherwise been resistive to addressing. Mm. Why do I like alcohol and drugs so much to make me happy? <laughs> Very simple answer is because they meet your addictions, your emotional addictions, not just your physical ones. So what happens with alcohol and drugs and other substances is that they are a, a pretty flawless way of meeting addictions in the sense that there's no people involved and you're not having to manipulate another person to get the addiction met generally. 
a substance meets it instead. Uh-huh. So most people turn to substance, uh, substance abuse in order to, to calm down certain fear-based emotions within themselves. And so what they do is that there are emotional addictions they have and they find that the substance best meets their emotional addiction. It makes them feel happy, like they say. They want to feel happy. And very, for people who turn to substance abuse, it's very rare that a person makes them feel happy. And so what they do is they turn to physical things to make them feel happy. Mm-hmm. So that might be food or drugs or alcohol. It can be just things that are classified on this planet uh, as normal, like, you know, watching television, you know, playing video games and other things like that too. Mm-hmm. It can be very simple things that, that are physical in nature that don't involve people that help you avoid the emotions that do involve people. Mm-hmm. So usually a lot of these uh, emotions are the emotions revolving around people. When we turn to substance abuse, it usually means we have trouble interacting with people and we need the substances in order to interact with people. And that's an indication that during our childhood we've got issues with regard to one or both parents that we need to allow ourselves to feel. And there's usually a lot of grief associated with those particular feelings and a lot of fear associated with them. And we use these addictions to suppress those emotions. Yeah. So that's why, you've, why alcohol and drugs make you feel happy. Mm. Once you get to the stage where you want to feel your emotional addictions and you want to feel the damage that was done to you during your childhood, you will find that alcohol and drugs won't make you happy at all. In fact, you'll find you'll, your body and you will feel them as very toxic to yourself and you will no longer wish to take them actually. So that's how you release the addictions to substances, by actually going in or delving into the emotional addictions that drive the addiction to the substance and allow yourself to work your way through those emotional addictions. Mm. Now, of course, uh, with alcohol and drugs and other substances, uh, there are many sorts of emotional addictions that drive us to substance abuse. And it would be best if we, if we were, you know, we can answer individual questions about what particular emotion in the person drives them to that particular substance. Yeah. And so forth. So, so why is it that some people are driven to food when other people are driven to alcohol, when other people are driven to marijuana or drugs, when other people are driven to uh, watching television all the time and tuning out of their life, when other people are driven to sex, when other people are driven to work, mm-hmm. you know, to work harder and work longer and, and all those kind of things. What, what causes these different addictions? Well, different emotions inside of us uh, cause, the combination of different emotions inside of us cause an addiction to a specific thing. Yeah. And in each case, it's quite different. So, you know, we can't generalise those particular things because in each person, the addiction to a specific substance is caused by a combination of emotions inside of themselves and a combination of their current belief systems that need to be addressed. If you're addicted to a substance, my suggestion is always go to get some psychological help from a person who understands emotion Mm -hmm. and understands what it is underneath the thing that's driving the addiction. Yep. Mm. How do we address any emotion without going into a facade? Well, we need to understand the emotions that drive the need for a facade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so 
If you examine the emotions that drive a need for a facade, you will find that it's all about pleasing other people, making other people feel that they like you or that they agree or that, you know, making other people feel that they agree with you, that you're right or, or some other such emotion. So they're all about what you want from other people. Facade is driven by what you want from other people in return. Mm-hmm. So to avoid emotions... To, to get into emotions without going into facade, you've got to give up the things you want from other people. Yeah. And you've got to give them up emotionally. So you'll need to go through the emotions of all the things, the addictions that you have, of all the things that you want from other people. And once you give up those things, you'll find you won't revert to a facade at all. Mm-hmm. You will always be true to yourself under all circumstances. You won't revert to falsifying your own demeanor or appearance or or emotions in order to please somebody but to do that you have to go through the emotions that cause you to want to please somebody yeah you have to be willing to go through those and usually there's a lot of fear associated with those emotions we're afraid of disapproval we're afraid of being humiliated being condescended to we're afraid that people would see, see us as an idiot or stupid or, or that we're afraid that they'll judge us as unloving or unkind or yeah, and there's just so many that we could list. So it requires, again, a large deal of honesty on the part of the person who's going into a facade to find the reason why they want to. Yeah. My suggestion to people is if you know or other people have show, told you that you're often in facade, my suggestion is look at all the reasons why you want the facade. What, why are you addicted to the facade? Why do you want to engage the facade? Why do you want to portray yourself to be something that you're not? Deep down, there'll be emotions that you feel like the real you is not good enough Mm. for other people. Mm. But on top of that, there'll be fears of what might other people might do to you if they think you're different to them. And on top of that, there'll be a whole heap of addictions that you continually engage, of which facade is one of them, in order to, to make yourself appear to be different than you really are. While you engage a facade, you are harming yourself because you're not honouring who you really are, the person that God created, but you're also harming every single relationship because every single person thinks they're getting someone that's not the real you. Mm -hmm. It's not the real you. It's somebody completely different. Well, they think they're getting you and they're not getting the real you. They're not getting the real you. They're getting someone completely different. And, and, And so they think they're having a relationship with the real you, mm-hmm. but they're actually having a relationship with a person who doesn't exist. Yeah. And sooner or later when you get out of your sad and, and into, you know, your real self, they might realise that and, and they might find that they don't want to have a relationship with you either because mm-hmm. you've been falsifying your true self for such a long time that they might go through lots of anger and rage about the fact that you've done that. Yeah. And they might feel that they can no longer trust you and they might have other emotions as well. So a facade can be not only very damaging to yourself and to your own soul, but it also can be very damaging to your relationships. You need to work through the reasons why you're in a facade, get out of the facade, be your true self, and then you'll attract people who are truly, who will enjoy your true self. Mm-hmm. And also you'll feel much more comfortable with yourself. Yeah. So I feel it's about going through the emotions that cause the facade first yeah. rather than trying to get into emotions underneath that. 
So a person who goes through the emotions that cause the facade, finish up gets, getting out of facade, and then when they get into the deeper emotions, they don't revert to the facade sure. every time they feel an emotion. Yeah. 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 No, that's helpful. Yeah. Can there be justified anger? No, never. <laughs> so, so no, there is never a justified anger. All anger is the result of you pretty much not meeting your addictions or ha not having your addictions met during your childhood. Mm -hmm. right? And either way, we've got to feel the anger. Yeah. We've got to feel it, but we need to get under the anger and into what the fears and the, the, that drive the addictions are. And it's never justifiable to be angry. Even if, even if someone's harming someone else or someone's harming your children or any of these particular things, it's ne anger is never justified from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. Anger is always harmful and it's a direct result of you having some fear-based beliefs. So it's always the avoidance of a deeper emotion? It's always is the that... avoidance of deeper fear. Yeah. Always. And you're always avoiding something when you revert to anger. Yeah. So from God's perspective, there is never a just, there's no reason for you to, get to, to be angry, so therefore there is never a justified anger. Yeah. You will get to the point, once you become at one with God, that you will never get angry, in fact. Mm -hmm. and so you will never justify it because you never get angry anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you never get angry in that state because you're in a state of love. But not only that, more importantly, you're in a state of truth. And when you honour the truth and then you feel the truth in you, you never get angry after mm -hmm. that. So in between now and that time, you may get angry, but it's not justified. Yeah. Is it true that we must feel it's justified in order to get angry? Like we have a false belief that it is justified or we can be angry and not really feel that it's justified? True. Yeah. And the reality is we can be angry and not feel it's justified. Yeah. Where we could feel, oh, this anger is in me. I need to let it out. I need to go and bash something and, you know, you know, yell and scream or whatever, let this anger out. But we also understand that this anger covers some deeper things. Mm -hmm. And it's not justifiable for me then to project that anger at another person. Yeah. Like that, that just harms the other person. Now I'm harming someone else. I'm involving someone else in my own pain. Mm -hmm. That's not justified ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's not ever justified to involve another person in your own pain. You need to learn to take full responsibility for your own pain. That's the only way you're going to feel it. So, so it's not justified to feel anger under any circumstances at all. Mm -hmm. and, and, it's, and that statement is going to confront a lot of people because mm. a lot of people on the planet believe that anger is justified under all sorts of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if someone kills your child, anger is justified. If someone, if someone dies around you, that your anger is justified. It's not justified. You need to feel it, yeah. but it's not justifiable. Yeah. It's all the result of false beliefs that you've imbibed that have now become an emotional in, emotions of fear inside of you, and and that's what's driving your anger. So it's not justified from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. it, God's not saying don't feel it. God's saying it's just not justified that you have it. Yeah. You you cannot have it. Yeah. And once you once you have the truth from God inside of your soul, you won't have it. Once you have God's love inside of your soul to the point of alignment with God, you won't have it. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to be justified ever. Yeah. And I find that this whole concept of justified anger is what causes war. It's mm -hmm. what causes most family-based conflicts. It's what causes a lot of disharmony in families. It's what causes most, most acrimonious family breakups, you know, yeah. marriage breakups. And it causes most other problems on the planet, actually. Mm. This, this concept that I'm allowed to be angry because you did yeah. something. 
So you're really saying that when, as soon as we justify anger, we then are more apt to justify unloving actions taken in anger. Of where course. We use it to um, to justify, yeah. Of course. Uh, yeah. We use it to justify all sorts of very damaging behaviour, mm-hmm. manipulative behaviour, unloving behaviour, lie, lies. We use it to justify all sorts of things, mm-hmm. this anger that we think is justifiable. We're then taking a whole heap of unloving actions, none of which are justifiable. Yeah. Like from God's perspective, every time you take an unloving action, it's never justified. Mm. It doesn't matter what you believe the cause is, it's never justified. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what's happened to you, it's never justified. That's why every single unloving choice that you make will have to be compensated for in some, in, at some future time. God's laws will demand it of you, in fact. Yeah. And, and because God's laws all state that, that this, anything that's unloving that occurs is not justified. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you think is justified. Like you can tell yourself, oh, the whole world does it, so that's why I did it. It's not a justification. Mm-hmm. From God's perspective, that's just your fear of the world. Mm-hmm. You, know? well, you can tell yourself that, oh, I protected my wife from you know, feeling that I didn't love her because I didn't tell her that I cheated on her or something, and, and then, you know, and I did it because I was angry because she, you know, slept with somebody yeah. before, you know. And, and that's not justified. Yeah. You know, it's not, it was an unloving action you took. From God's perspective, you're going to have to pay the penalty of that unloving action through, through emotional processing that you're going to have to do. And, and, and none of it was justified. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't matter what your wife did. She might have slept with 25 people. <laughs> Makes no difference. It's not justified your response. Yeah. All right. Unloving actions are never justified. It doesn't matter what the cause, mm-hmm. what you believe the cause is. They're never justified. And, and once we stop justifying them and just feel the pain of them, yeah. we'll find that everything in the world will work a lot better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everything in our life will work a lot more harmoniously as well. It's, it's this constant justification of rage and anger that causes wars, that causes death, that causes abortions, that causes all sorts of things. And we need to stop doing it. If we're really going to be loving, we need to stop justifying unloving behaviour. Yeah. And anger is an unloving behaviour. It doesn't matter what the reason is. Yeah. yeah. We will have to go through anger, however. So I'm not saying we won't have to go through anger. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to, at some point, feel angry about things that have happened to us because that, that will help us find our addictions. Yeah. It will help us find our fears. We need to go through the emotion. Yeah. But I'm not saying that the emotion itself is justified because it's not. Mm-hmm. You'll get to the point where you don't feel it, mm-hmm. and it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Okay. Am I responsible for others' pain? <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> Did you cause it? <laughs> if you caused it, then you're responsible for it. If you didn't cause it, then you're not responsible for it. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that they think you caused it. It means from God's perspective whether you caused it. So the real determination of whether you are responsible for somebody else's pain is whether God or God's laws determine that you are responsible for their pain. Yeah. So, for example, many parents claim that a child, their own child, is responsible for the parent's pain. Mm -hmm. That's not true. The parent's responsible for the child's pain from Mm -hmm. God's perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's true. Mm -hmm. So quite often we have a distorted viewpoint of who's responsible. So what we need to say as a correct answer to this question is, from God's perspective, if you caused the pain in that person by taking an unloving action which resulted in pain for that person, 
then you are responsible for the pain of that person. Yeah. Even if you caused no pain in the person because they were at one with God, but you took an action that was unloving towards that person, you are still responsible for what they would have felt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? So even if they felt no pain, you are still responsible for what the unloving action itself was. Yeah. So you become responsible for the unloving action as determined by God and God's laws, not by your own laws or your own mind or your own ideals or your own beliefs. Yeah. So this is where a lot of religious people get out of harmony with love very quickly. They go, oh, the Bible says to me that I'm allowed to pick up a sword and stab somebody with it if they're of a different religion than me. Mm -hmm. right? The Bible does and the Koran both say such a thing is possible and suggest such a thing is possible. Of course, my words in the Bible say that that's not possible. Yeah. But then there's other things in the Bible that suggest that is possible, mm -hmm. that it's okay to go to war, for example. You know, there's other words in the Bible that suggest that. Now, if I take up arms and go to war, as a result, and the justification I use is the Bible said it, that I could, or the Koran said I could, then I'm not following God's beliefs anymore. I'm following my own. Yeah. Right? God's beliefs are it's never justifiable for you to harm another person. Mm hmm Never justifiable for you to take their will away from them. It's never justifiable for you to murder them. It's never justifiable for you to kill them for any reason, even if they've harmed you. Right? That's God's law. Yeah. And every time you justify that, right, mm -hmm. you're basically saying to God, no, none of that applies. Yeah. And as soon as you say that to God, you've basically broken a heap of laws <laughs> in that process and you're going to experience some pain as a result of those, mm -hmm. the breaking of those laws. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that we understand this, this important point with regard to this question. Yeah. So the question, am I responsible for others' pain, is directly dependent upon this, who, who, who actually resolves whether you've caused pain or not. Mm -hmm. And it's God. And God's laws that determine that, not yours. Yeah. Yep. So from God's perspective, if you have caused or wanted to cause or thought of causing another person pain, you have broken one of God's loving laws and as a result you will become responsible for what happens. And you're responsible even for the use of your will in that way regardless of... Correct. Yep. Whether, regardless of whether it actually happened or not, yeah. in fact. Yeah. So you can even think of doing something to, and you've already sinned from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. You've already broken the law of love from God's perspective. Mm -hmm. That's how fine it is. Right? And this is why I said, in, and that is recorded in the Bible, that if you even look at a woman as to commit adultery with her, you've already committed adultery with her. You've yeah. already done it. Yeah. Right? You've already done, every time you look at somebody and you feel like you want to murder them, you've already murdered them from God's perspective. There is a desire in your soul to murder that person and the law kicks in the gear. Mm -hmm. the, the law says you're now responsible for any pain that person feels. Uh, that's a pretty fine law. It is. Because uh, the person's going to feel some pain from your, coming from your soul towards them going, I want to murder you. Mm. There's a feeling coming out of your soul and, and it could potentially enter them saying to, the, you, saying to them, I want to kill you, I want to murder you, I want to restrict your will. And, and that, if, if that feeling enters them, you are responsible for their pain. Mm. You are. Right? But there is this whole other side of the discussion, which is people who claim that you're responsible for their pain when you're not responsible for their pain at all. Yeah. 
And often I see parents claiming that their own children are responsible for the parents' pain, and that's not the case at all. The parents are directly responsible for their parents' own pain, and the children are just reflecting the painful condition the parents are in, in most cases. And when I'm talking about children here, I'm talking about young children. Yeah. So... So whenever that parent blames the child and says, you've caused me pain, the parent's way out of line and has caused two pains. <laughs> They've lied, yep. which is a pain in itself, right, caused to the child. And then they've also blamed the child for something the parent did, which is another pain. Mm-hmm. So there's a doubling up of pain on the parent from the parent's side from God's perspective. Mm. So this aspect of pain needs to be comparatively considered And we need to understand that a lot of times we think other people have done us pain or wrong when really all they've done is not meet any of our addictions. (laughs) And so we need to, God doesn't consider any of those pains as pain. Yeah. Every time someone doesn't meet your addictions, that's your pain, not theirs. Well, they're They're exposing. They're meant to not follow your addiction or meet your addictions. Yeah. In fact, if they meet your addictions from God's perspective, they've caused you pain. Mm-hmm. The opposite to what you believe many yeah. times. Yeah. So this is a problem with codependent relationships. You've got one person in the relationship giving emotions to the other that are addictive. The other person receives them. Now that person who's given to that person has harmed the person, even mm-hmm. though the person wanted mm-hmm. that emotion or that feeling. That per- the other person has harmed them. And the other person having a demand on the first person is harming them. Yeah. And so you get in codependent relationships this terrible cycle of harm upon harm upon harm. And this is why codependent relationships often break up quite rapidly unless the codependency is well established yeah. right, from childhood, uh, you know, well established from childhood. Most of the time, these codependent relationships eventually get to a stage where there's a build-up of pain, a build-up of pain, and as long as both accept each other's pain, then usually the relationship remains together. Yeah, yeah. But if they don't, then they start fighting and arguing and so forth, and then there's a breakup. And the reality is, they both caused each other pain. Mm-hmm. While that person gave that person, the other person, what they wanted, that person was causing them pain. Yeah. Right. The question is, what? does the person need from God's perspective? Mm-hmm. They need to be loved, cared for, told the truth to. There's a whole heap of things from God's perspective they needed. Mm. And if you give them that, then it doesn't matter what they think about that, you've not caused them any pain, yeah. whether they believe you've caused them pain or not. Yeah. yeah. And so you don't have any responsibility for what they, the claim they the claim. pain the pain they claim that they your feel. Fault. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they have no responsibility for that. Yeah. So when I tell someone the truth and they tell me that I cause them pain, I go, no, I have not. Mm-hmm. I can't take any responsibility for that. And I know for certain God doesn't attribute any responsibility towards me because in telling you the truth, I've given you a gift of love, in yeah. fact. Yeah. And the fact that you don't want to receive it is one of your addictions. That's what's causing you the feeling of pain, mm-hmm. your addiction mm-hmm. to not have the truth. Your addiction to believe the lie is what caused you pain. Yeah. So that's very, very different than me lying to somebody. If I lie to somebody, right, then I've caused them pain. It doesn't matter whether I did it for the right reason or not, you know. It doesn't matter what reason I did it for. I've caused them pain. Yeah. So I'm responsible for the pain they feel. So it's like, it's like a man who's in a relationship with a woman and he cheats on the woman and he doesn't tell her. Right? He's caused her pain. 
he's telling himself, he's telling himself, I won't tell her, so I'm going to prevent her pain. But he's caused her pain. He's broken the relationship. Sooner or later, she'll find out whether it's here on earth or in the spirit world. She's going to find out. She's going to feel hurt from it. And he has broken the love bond by cheating sexually on her. Yeah. That's a, a, a creation of pain, mm-hmm. right? And so, so, of course, he's caused her pain. Whether he's acknowledged it or not, he's caused her pain. And, it, and, and telling her makes her pain better, mm-hmm. not worse, because mm-hmm. it gives her the choice to do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It gives her the choice to decide what she's going to do with this man. Is she going to throw him away? <laughs> or is she going to work through the issue with him? Or, is, you know, what, is she going to forgive him? Or what's she going to do? She's got the choice now. Yeah. So now he's lessened her pain even though she feels pain. Even though she feels pain, he's been honest. So that's, that's a better place to be from God's perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So her response to the honesty, right, yeah. she, she shouldn't be saying to him, I didn't want to know, because that, that's, that's, that, that's, that's her now causing him pain. Yeah. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. She would say, I want to know, right, but I now need to decide what I'm going to do mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. with this relationship. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and this is where we often get confused with pain. Pain is often distorted by other people. They think we've caused pain when we haven't. They think we haven't caused pain when we have. And what the real judge of it is God's laws and God's principles of love. Mm-hmm. So God is the judge about all these issues of pain. God is the only person who really knows whether you have caused somebody else pain or whether they have caused you pain. Yeah. And a person who's become at one with God, of course, also knows. Very good. Thank you.